Ephesians chapter 4 in the, uh, in the entire letter is a very important transition point. Um, as I told you, and you might look at your chart on pages 8 and 9, I believe it is, um, of the book. In there we have a chart spreading out from the, from the left all the way over to the right. And uh, last week we finished the left side of the page, the first part of the book of Ephesians. And today in chapter 4 we're transitioning to the right side of the page, the, the, the last part of the book of Ephesians. This is one of the few letters of the Apostle Paul that divides almost exactly in half, half and half. Um, he almost always has a transition point, um, but usually it's not right at the halfway point. In Ephesians, it's almost exactly in the halfway point. Chapters 1, 2, and 3 are theology or doctrine or things that we um, are to believe about ourselves and about God. Um, we find very quickly, remember that, that we went to Ephesians kind of looking for um, identity, looking for descriptions of ourselves, looking for a deeper understanding of ourselves, and the first thing we were encountered with is about nine repetitions of the name of God. And we thought, oh, this isn't about me, is it? It's about God. Uh, but as we learn about God, then we come to understand about ourselves. Then we, we, we are able to put ourselves in a correct framework, in a correct um, um, way of thinking, if we're thinking about ourselves in relationship to our Abba Father. And so we find um, this identity of God and the, our identity as adopted children of God um, in the first three chapters. And then in chapter four, uh, we turn a, a, a big corner, and at the beginning of chapter 4, Paul says, therefore, chapter 4, verse 1, therefore, I, Paul, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. And so he says, therefore, because of chapters 1, 2, and 3, because of who God is and who we are in the family of God, because of all of that, now I want you to walk, W-A-L-K. I want you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. And I think in one of my Greek to me call out sections, I described the word walk. It's peripateo. It means to walk around, to conduct yourself, to manage your lifestyle in such a way that it's in a manner worthy of chapters one, two, and three, the calling to which we've been called. The identity of God and the identity of ourselves. Now with a new name and new siblings and a new household and, and all of that, we have, we have this new sense of identity because we're adopted into the family of God. Now we have to learn to walk. Now, you may remember teaching your children to walk or grandchildren. This is a, this is a bumpy, bruisey kind of process, isn't it? Um, we don't always start out perfect. We don't just get up and start jogging, you know, do we? We... We take a couple steps, we fall down, go boom, and sometimes there's a, a little bit of crying, sometimes there's a little bit of pain, sometimes there are marks that we carry with us for some time, <laughs> um, but, but learning to walk is a messy business. And we have to learn to be patient with ourselves and with one another um, as we learn to walk together in the family of God. Uh, we know that it's not always going to be perfect and painless and beautiful. There are times when we're going to fall down, go boom, and make a mess of things. And, uh, and then we get up and we keep on walking. So walking in a manner worthy of our calling. 
Um, did, I de did I describe to you, you, you all know you gotta be, bear with me here because I teach this particular lesson right now three times a week, so I sometimes get confused about where I am. Um, but did I tell you about baseball in Budapest? No? I did? Okay, so this is it. Chapters one, two, and three. You know, we have finished our classroom work, ladies, in chapters one, two, and three. We're done with the classroom. We've learned our vocabulary. We've learned our identity. We've learned the identity. Now we're going to all go outside into the playground, and we're going to set up a baseball diamond, and we're going to actually play the game. We're going to encounter now. Um, one thing we haven't encountered yet in the whole letter to the Ephesians, um, imperative verbs. Paul is going to start giving us verbs. Do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this. Um, did I tell you about the golf lesson? Did I tell you about my golf lesson? No? Okay. You're like, the, the blank, the blank look is what gave it away. Um, <laughs> I, I am, uh, I love to golf. I'm a really bad golfer. Um, but I love being outdoors, and the year that, uh, actually it was my honeymoon, uh, my husband is this big golf, he loves golfing. And um, so we went, we went to a golf course on our honeymoon. I took a book, because I thought I'm gonna be bored senseless, you know, and I'm gonna read my book. Turns out we were in Whistler, British Columbia. It was one of the most beautiful places I had ever seen. I never even cracked my book open. I couldn't take my eyes off the landscape, and I thought, I want to see every golf course in every city, and you know, or whatever city I want to go to, in fact, the golf course is, is where I want to be. It is just manicured and beautiful. And I sometimes think it'd be cool to not be a bad golfer. It'd be cooler to be a good golfer. And so every once in a while, I sign up and take a lesson. And uh, I'll go, and the coach inevitably says, okay, let's start here on the driving range, take a few swings, and, and I'll, uh, I'll you know, kind of deal with you as we, as we encounter it here. And so I'll take a few swings, and he'll be like, oh, or she. Um, the first thing is be like, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. Um, but, but instead, do this. Do this instead of that. You're doing that. Don't do that anymore. Don't ever do that again. <laughs> But if you do this, if you do it this way, you're going to have much better luck. And, um, and this is what Paul is doing right here. We've got the ultimate golf coach. He, he gets it. He gets the rhythm, the balance, the swing. He gets the feel of it. And it's like we're going to watch him do it, and then we're also going to listen to his instruction, and we are going to find that we are there, we're working at a whole different level of life. Consider Paul like a life coach instead of a golf coach, a life coach. And he's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a, a few um, tips and pointers about how to live and walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. He's just been uh, doing some of his very best work in describing who we are and our calling. And now he says, now I want you to learn to walk this way. He's going to take us out there, and he's going to teach us how to do it. And so he starts out. As I just started reading, therefore, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And immediately he starts to describe it. Listen to these descriptive words. With all humility, gentleness, patience, 
bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He says, I want you to live in a manner worthy of the calling, and he immediately stacks up all of these descriptive words to kind of give us an idea of what this is going to look like. And he gives us these words that sound kind of familiar, if you're familiar um, with the, the gifts of the Spirit, um, the, the, the fruits of the Spirit, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, unity of the Spirit, and, and a bond of peace. Ultimately, it all comes around to this beautiful package of peace. Peace is what God is looking for. Peace is why he came. This is why Jesus came to the planet, so that we would know what it is to live in peace, so that we would know what it is to, to understand his presence and the, and the calming nature of his presence, even when we walk through turmoil, even when we walk through strife, even in the middle of hardship, we can actually know peace. Peace is something that comes only by this loving presence of God in our lives, and as we learn to live in tune and alert and awake and aware that God is always with us, that he is sovereign, that he's all-loving, all-knowing, and that he's carrying us. That's the only way that we can attain this peace, and that's what we're after here. Don't you love it um, when your own household is peaceful? Um, uh, uh, 10 kids, wow. Ah, uh, wow. <laughs> I have two, and I feel like it was a constant war zone. Just, you know, you're just ducking to not be schmackered from one side or another, going one way or another. Um, you know, when, you, when you're just think, saying to your kids or grandkids, like, stop fighting. Stop fighting. And isn't the most wonderful thing um, as they kind of start to grow up and they become friends with each other? Or even when they're little, you, you get to see these brief glimpses of time when they're helping each other, when one is helping another, or they're, uh, or they're cheering each other up, or they're cheering each other on at a sporting event or something like that. Doesn't that just melt mama's heart or grandma's heart? Which is like, oh, you know, this is, this is like wonderful when your kids start loving each other. So this is where God is at also. God, as, a, as our adopted Abba Father, as he oversees us, and he looks over his household, he's like, I hate it when they fight like that, but I love it when they love each other. I love it when they support each other. It makes me feel so good when I see them truly cheering for each other, putting each other's needs before their own. And so Paul says, do it with humility. If you're going to learn to walk as we learn to walk, do it with humility, gentleness, patience. See how these words have a theme to them? That we're putting in the, the other's needs above our own. We're being humble. We're being gentle. We're being patient. We're bearing with one another. That is sometimes translated as long-suffering. We're long-suffering. That means we're going to let each other fail, fall, flail around. We're going to pick each other up again and again. We're going to dust each other off and love one another and support one another as we keep putting one foot in front of another, no matter how shaky those feet are. And we're going to help each other right on through this. We're going to walk each other right on through this. That's what God wants to see the unity of the Spirit, and the bond of peace. 
we are striving. So growing up, one of the things that, that, that comes naturally when we start to grow up is that we're striving for unity. As we grow up, we begin to become aware that there's a world bigger than our own little bedroom, right? Or our own living room. Uh, and, then, and then we start to understand that our siblings, you know, as we grow up, we start to understand our siblings have lives outside of the home. They have friends I don't even know. And, and my parents have friends I don't even know. And then the world gets bigger and bigger and bigger. As we get bigger and bigger, as we grow up, the world gets bigger. And as we do that in the, in the Christian life, as we learn to walk in the Christian life and in the household of God, we begin to see this much wider view of our siblings, of our family, and of those outside the church, of those who are currently, they're not maybe aware of the good news that God wants to adopt them into, their own, into his own family. And so we strive for unity. We're eager, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And then these beautiful words in um, verses 4 to 6, if I'm reading that correctly, yep, verses 4 to 6, is this little section in the middle. Read it, uh, read along with me, starting in verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Isn't that beautiful? Some believe that this is a creed or a statement of faith that may have been uttered or repeated, probably memorized, and then spoken over and over again in churches, in small groups of believers from the earliest times of the church. And that maybe Paul even wrote it himself, that he, he may very well be the author. But when they started to read it uh, in their little small groups, in their little circle where they were first reading this letter, they did just what some of you just did. They started reading it along out loud because they had it memorized. They knew this. It was a creed. It was part of what they said. This is what I believe. This unity of faith, this is significant, especially if Paul did write it, that he had the kind of position within the early church, the kind of apostolic authority, that if he were to write something like this and the church would ad immediately adopt it and say, this is from Paul, that this is what we believe. As followers of Jesus Christ, this is what we believe. I'm gonna do it again and I want you to read it with me. Starting with verse four, it goes like that. Read it with me on page 135 in your, in your book. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Do you believe it? Is that a creed? Credo, the Latin word, means believe. And often we would say at the, at the beginning of these Latin creeds, I don't know if any of you were raised in a Catholic church where Latin mass was spoken, but you may have even spoken creeds in Latin. If so, the first word is credo, we believe, or I believe, that, that, this, that this statement is true about me, that this statement is true about us, about the church, and this is good ecclesiology or the theology of the church. As we grow up, we strive for this unity. We recognize the value and the strength that is inherent in this kind of unity, and we strive for it. 
We don't just nonchalantly hope it happens, and do you think it really will? If we're all acting out of our nature, no, it will not. We will not. We will come to church going, I like red carpet. I like green carpet. I like fast songs. I like slow songs. I like to sing up here, and I like to sing down there. I like the flute. I like the guitar. I like the wood. And then we're all looking for what we each want for ourselves. Instead of coming to church saying, how can I contribute? How can I help? What can I do? How can I make this other person's experience of worship this morning more meaningful and more joyous and more beautiful rather than doing the Walmart kind of version of church, what do you got for me? Put the sale items out front. Make sure that I get my highest value out of this. I don't drive to lunch going, I don't know if I got anything out of that. Okay, but this is striving for unity and understanding that what we do, what we have the potential of um, when we're together, any time that we're together is the potential to be the hands and feet of Christ to one another. That's striving for unity. As we grow up, we strive for unity. And as we grow up, we also celebrate diversity. Um, the creed ends over all and through all and in all, talking about this pervasive nature of, of Christ. And verse 7 says, but by grace, uh, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, skip over to verse 11. 11 says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. By great, but, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And then the, the section that I skipped right in the middle there is a descriptive se section where Paul started to think about, he started to, to imagine to himself um, Psalm chapter 68. And he grabs an image from Psalm chapter 68 of an army commander coming home um, and leading a great army home from a great victory. And when that happens, they're, they're coming into the, to the home city with all of the booty and the spoil that came from this conquering um, expedition. And they begin to hand it out in gifts to the people of the city. First to the army, to those who were in the army, to those who fought, to the soldiers and their families, and then to the rest of the city, because we're all, all blessed when the king is on the throne. All of us are blessed when the king is on the throne. So it's an image that Paul was drawing from. Um, but other than that, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it because I want to talk about this next section, that we grow up, as we grow up, not only are we looking for unity. That doesn't mean that we all um, look exactly the same. Amen? That uh, doesn't mean that we all look the exact same or do the exact same things or have the exact get, same gifts it means that we appreciate one another. We see the differences in one another, and we celebrate the diversity that we have when we're together. The diversity, particularly, is in spiritual gifts, but grace was given to each one of us according to the gifts. And then he says, uh, he gave, same word as gift, only a different form of it. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers, and he starts now down a list of spiritual gifts. And he doesn't, he doesn't bring an exhaustive list here. 
He doesn't mention administration or teaching or those kind of, he, he, he doesn't mention them all, but he mentions a few of the spiritual gifts. And he says, God brought those gifts and he gave them, he gave them out. He just dished them out. And sometimes we actually wonder about the gifts that we've been given. Sometimes we kind of wish we'd have gotten gifts that other people have. And sometimes we don't really fully appreciate the gifts we have, or we, maybe, maybe we haven't quite developed them, and we need to examine them a little bit and see how they might be used, develop them. And then we need to also appreciate and celebrate the gifts that we see in the people around us and, and, and how they might make a contribution. Um, love adoption stories, like the one we just heard a few minutes ago. Uh, and as you know, um, my husband and I adopted two children, Dominic and Georgie. They were 8 and 12 um, when we adopted. Georgie was 8 years old. And I remember uh, when they first came to live with us, they, we were um, foster parents for one year and before our actual adoption took place, and, um, and that was in 2009. But in 2008, they came to live with us. And I remember that first year, uh, Georgie was eight years old, and she was invited to a little birthday party by one of the other kids in her class. And I thought, well, that is super sweet. And I started, you know, kind of thinking about it. And um, we'd never done a birthday party before. And so it's sort of, I need to admit that this was a total near disaster as a mom right here. I call it my rookie error. that, that it, I, we were getting right up to the day of the party when I suddenly realized, like, okay, she's eight years old, she, she doesn't have any income, and she doesn't drive, so I'm, this is on me. I mean, I'm going to have to, you know, get her the gift. I'm going to have to go to the mall and buy a little, a little girly gift, and I'm going to have to dress my, my daughter up and make sure she looks presentable when she arrives at the party on Saturday at this and such a time. And so we like ran off to the mall and last minute, and we're like buying a gift and, um, and wrapping a gift and dressing her up and off to the party. We made it. We made it. But it, was, it, it took me a little bit to, to kind of adjust to that. I almost missed it, girls. I almost missed it. I just thought it was so precious uh, that she was invited to a party before I realized, wait a second, I have a ton of responsibility here. <laughs> that I'm the mom. This is, uh, this is my job. God has given us gifts, not so that we can enjoy them for ourselves, not so that we can relish them and, and keep them at home with us, but so that we have something to bring to the party, so that we don't show up to the party empty-handed. God has given us gifts, capacities, passions, a sense of vision, a sense of joy in a certain thing, uh, the, 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 the ability to do something better than most of the people you see around you. And you think, man, I, I, kind, of, I kind of have a little thing here. This is something I love to do. This is something I do well. God has invested each and every one of us with those things so that we don't arrive and say, wait a minute, I got nothing. Because you do. Each one of us has at least one spiritual gift that God has invested in us. And then he's stirred it up and he's he's developed it by giving us life experiences that help us to see those things and appreciate those things so that when we show up, whenever we're together, that when we show up, 
we present this gift. We make a contribution. We don't just show up and appreciate everybody else's stuff and all the things that they bring to the party. But we show up and we, we say, what can I give? Here's my offering. Here is my gift. God wants us to bring our own special gift to the party. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teachers. The purpose of it all is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to, the equip, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. In other words, ministers aren't supposed to do all the ministry. All of us. Who are the saints? Do you remember? We're all saints. That's our new name. When, we, when we're adopted into the family of God, that's the name that we now wear. We are saints, and the saints are to be equipped to do the work of the ministry. As a, as a full-time pastor who's ordained and called to be in this place and to, and to develop that, I'm to be equipping you to do the work of the ministry. I'm to be working myself out of a job. I'm to be working until all of you are doing the work of the ministry. That's what church looks like. Why? For the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith, until we all attain the knowledge of the Son of God, until we all attain mature manhood or adulthood, until we all attain to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, until we all grow up, until we all reach that level of maturity, until we all reach heaven, we're to serve each other. We're to love each other. We're to bring our own gift to the party. That's the picture of this completed and beautiful household of God. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried around by every wind of doctrine. That means that we're not supposed to be um, silly or gullible or believe everything or grab onto everything that comes down the pike. We're to be discerning and thoughtful and smart and intelligent. And we support each other in that. None, no more of that, he says. Rather, speaking the truth in love, and the truth is harsh if it's without love, and love is flimsy if it's without truth. We need the combination of truth and love. In speaking the truth in love, we grow up. We grow up. We don't remain children. We grow up. Georgie um, turned 18 last summer. She's 18 years old now. She's a senior at Crossings Christian School across the parking lot over there. I can kind of peek over every once in a while, make sure her car's in the right spot. Um, and she went to a birthday party earlier this year. And to this birthday party, she took her own gift. She did her own shopping. She drove herself to the mall. She chose the gift by herself. She wrapped the gift by herself. She dressed herself, and she took herself to the party. As we grow up, we learn to do that. We learn to, to develop these things and to bring these things on our own and for our own. 
We know that we're developing in Christ. We know we're growing up in Christ as we learn to take ownership of these things and to celebrate them and to remember this is not, God hasn't given me this gift for my own enjoyment, but God has given me this gift so that the saints may be equipped for the ministry of Christ. Growing up into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined together with every joint that it, with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, making the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. God has given us these gifts so that we may bring them to one another so that we may grow up and be built up in love. I'm going to tell you one more story, and then you're going to have to take this last pericope on your own. Sorry about that. Eugene Peterson tells a beautiful story about a symphony. He said, what would happen if the members of a symphony all came together with their various instruments, and they placed themselves up on the stage, and then each and every one of them just started to play their own favorite song? This is my favorite song. This is my favorite song. You would have a noisy disaster. It would not be pleasant to hear. But if the members of a symphony come together and they seat themselves all together in their rows and they, and they each take their own special instrument and they begin to play under the leadership of the director, they, they are going to be conducted into a whole different sphere, and we will be with them. It will be something beautiful. It will be something you want to record and play over and over and over again. This beauty is what I'm describing when the church is working as it's supposed to work, that we come together and under the director, under the leadership of Abba Father, each of us plays our own instrument, and each of us plays exactly as we are directed. And as we do that, we find this beautiful harmony, this beautiful community, this beautiful place where each one of us is held aloft and supported by the ones next to us. That's the church. I hope you love it. I hope you love living here. You are here. And I hope you love living here. Let me pray. Oh, wait, no. No, go ahead, sweetie. You want me to pray? You want, to pray us, you want me to pray us out of here? Oh, and then you'll finish. Okay. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know that it is by your grace and through nothing other than your mercy that we are, have been adopted into this household, into this family. I pray that you would teach us how to treat our siblings with humility, humility and patience and long-suffering that we may enjoy, truly enjoy one another's company, even one another's failures. I pray, God, that we would learn to take each other's failures lightly and to allow ourselves to be helped up when we fall down and go boom. And I ask, God, that as we learn to do this, that we would uh, more and more steadily put one foot in front of the other, learning to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you've given us. As we do this, we will bring glory and honor and joy to you. And it's in your powerful name that we pray. Amen.